Welcome to the Rationalish Podcast. I'm your co-host Morgan Wack, and I'm with the imperturbable Eddie Matthews. Welcome back. Yeah, we're sorry uh, I'm, about the the delay. Yeah, I know. Uh, life happens sometimes. As I know that you all missed us, and you've been waiting in bated breath, but uh, we're back. I know it kind of feels again. it kind of feels cruel sometimes uh, going a week without because it's really messes with people's routine and their lifestyle. You know? <laughs> That's what after those first couple episodes, they really got into it. I hear I heard that a couple people started taking Wednesdays off from work. Yeah. Um, so Morgan, I am sure that you've seen uh, the reports recently of uh, people have dug up, um, you know, conversations that when Tucker, Tucker Carlson called in to Bubba the Love Sponge radio eight years ago, <laughs> um, he said some some pretty naughty things, you could say. And uh, I was just wondering if you were worried about all of the interviews that they're going to dig up of you on Bubba the Love Sponge, and if we should you be know, concerned. I'm not proud of it, but I've uh, I've paid some very uh, diligent private investigators to erase all of my contact with with all uh, all types of of online media and in person personalities to wipe it all off the air because it was just so uh so discriminatory and inflammable that yeah they really needed to take it to the next level i had a pretty bad experience with them as well um and i can share that really quick <laughs> yeah um, i would love to hear maybe eddie two eddie edman 2k10 if we uh, dug up some of those old tweets uh, yeah well account no, I'm not. Pr- I'm not proud of it, and I hope that nobody, the Media Matters group or whoever dug up the um, Tucker Carlson ones, I hope they don't look into my above the love sponge. Ex- I would imagine uh, you're such a highly profile media personality at this point that they would have tried already and failed. We would have heard about it if they had. Some yeah. Media. Well, I used a pseudonym when I was on, so that might have thrown uh, them gotcha. off. They but might, might um, have thrown them off. basically, the situation I ran into was one of our fans recognized me um i think i was ordering coffee at some coffee shop in san diego or something or maybe it was over here i can't remember maybe in london or whatever and um our fans are our fans are everywhere (laughs) and i said something like oh hi can i get just uh you know medium latte uh to stay in thank you um and the person tapped me on the shoulder was like are you are you eddie matthews from rationalish I was like, yeah, oh, uh, sorry. Uh, and then there was like a weird kind of exchange with them, and I didn't like mean to be rude, but I was kind of in a hurry. And I, I had see, to like, you know, I had to go to coffee, and I had to get out of there, and I'm like, oh, thanks for listening, and then I had to like leave. And then they tweeted and added me and were like, never meet your heroes at <laughs> Eddie Matthews 22. <laughs> Well, I'm surprised that they must have been a really big fan because we do the podcast mainly because we have face faces for podcasts. Uh, yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah, and so I saw so that tweet, uh, and like I said, I wasn't. I'm not proud of this experience, but I was fuming, and I, I, I was. Imagine. I was scheduled to go on Bubba the Love Sponge the following morning, so it's like 
what else am I going to talk about? But this uh, fan turned nemesis who said, you know, just like it's not a classy thing to, to tweet um, at me after the fact um, t- to not meet your heroes because I'm not like that to other people. I, I mean, don't want I that message only, to go out. My, my first thought would be that they had to have been some sort of inside agent from Pod Save America because we were stealing so many viewers away. Oh, uh, it could, could have been some sort shit. of plant. That could be it. Yeah, so yeah, when I went on Bubba the Love Sponge, and I hope they don't dig this up, but like, yeah, I just, I said some naughty things. I said they were a blanking, like blank, blank, like that, you know, I don't want to say it here because it's, it's naughty, but I, you know, it just, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to apologize either because I meant what I said, but I just hope they don't dig it up. It sounds like you sort of want them to dig it up, but you know we can we can get into this on another day. Once it does resurface and we have a, a little bit more notoriety in the public sphere, we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail. I, I I mean I hope we don't get more notoriety in the public sphere because I like my lifestyle being minimally interrupted as much as possible. But just um, like every other coffee shop interaction is you know noticed now. If we got that level, it would be. You know, you'd have to order in, get your lattes delivered. Yeah, and I don't want to live like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's no way to live. So let's make sure that our podcast is sufficiently mediocre that we don't actually gain a massive following. I think that's a great aspiration. Um, so with that aspiration in mind, uh, what are we talking about today, Morgan? We are going to go over something that is more your expertise than mine, but I've I've been. Uh, reading up on it to try to try to get prepared for this, so our listeners get the best product possible. It's not quite up to the level of Bubba the Love Sponge, but uh, this, is, this is pretty good stuff. This is going to be an early, early, early look at the 2020 Democratic primaries. We kind of just couldn't. Well, at least for me, I kind of just couldn't hold back. Um, so I so I queried Morgan, and he was up for it. Um, I just I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I love kind of the political theater of campaigns, presidential campaigns, because the stakes are so high and because everyone reads into everything. I just think it's fascinating. And I actually care about <laughs> who we're going to, you know, put up as our sure, nominee. Sure you do. Sure you do. It's essentially I just reality, wanna, I it's just reality want, TV for nerds. <laughs> right. I just want to make sure that we don't nominate a candidate who likes to grab pussies or, you know, calls Mexicans rapists. Like, if we can just nominate someone <laughs> yeah. who doesn't grab pussies or call Mexicans rapists, then I think we'll be on the right track. I think with that low bar, it might be the reason that 209 Democrats actually registered with the FEC for this Democratic primary process so far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard that you were considering a run. I I mean I think uh, 2020 might be might be a little early for me. Uh, I didn't want to you know make it. I would have taken away a lot of the theater. You know, didn't want to to draw away from from the other candidates. Give them a chance, at least a couple more years before we we started our reign of uh, democratic dominance. Are you sure you didn't just um, after launching your exploratory committee? Which, by the way. I uh, saw that you did on Facebook before you quickly turned it down the next day after you Googled how old do <laughs> you have course, to be to run course, for president yeah. and realized mm. that you were too young. It's not a good start. It's not a good start. 
Um, cool, man. Yeah, my, well, my pack so, actually, uh, yeah, my, my pack wasn't actually uh, pulling in as much money as I'd hoped as well. But uh, uh, you know, <laughs> just for another day. Oh, you use a pack? Hmm. Yeah, man. But, uh, I uh, we'll, we'll talk about this on the on the next pod. But uh, yeah, my my uh, my morals surrounding the election process. Uh, how how Clintonian of you? Yeah, that's it. You know, I think her can, can, campaign went so well that it really should just be the poster child for all further Democratic campaigns, as uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren has shown us. Hey, all right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically what we decided to do was we both wrote uh, a list that we haven't shown each other, so you're getting first take right here live on the pod. Um, I wrote... We both wrote our top five candidates, just like completely personal preference who we would want, ranked one to five. And then we're going to compare those lists. And then mutually, we're going to collaborate on a list of five candidates ranked that we think are the most actually like likely to attain the nomination. Does that sound good? Yeah, I think we're, we'll try to give you an overview of some of the candidates that might not be as in the public eye as well, just so that it can be a little, hopefully a little bit informative, not just kind of reflective. But we'll see. Uh, you might know more about this than I do, so we'll give it our best shot. Yeah, that sounds great. So, Eddie, do you want to do the honors? Who is your fifth favorite of the current... Okay, so candidate or probable candidate? Right, right. Um, I had Bernie as number five. Okay, okay. Uh, how exactly do you want to go? What about Bernie do you enjoy? How did, why did he make the list? I like how much his campaign is predicated upon the people and not specifically the candidate, like the candidate as the apex or not even the apex, really. That's not the right terminology, but just as kind of the sharpened point of the spear, but the spear is made up of the people as it were. Um, his campaign messaging, I think, is really good about emphasizing how it's a movement of millions of people, and this just happens to be the voice of it, you know? Dude, I think you should uh, call him up and tell him you're available to write speeches. Uh, I think you might, you might be able to move, move him up the list a little bit. The spear I think that, comes down. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, he is authentic and that he really actually means and lives what he said. And I think his voting record does a really good job. His voluminous voting record, because he's been in the Senate for 30 years, um, attests to a lot of his beliefs. And it's not to say that people can't change their mind, because um, I don't like stigmatizing um, politicians that change their mind and just calling them flip-floppers, unless that's actually what they're you know, doing blatantly. Um, but there is really a consistency in terms of, you know, his kind of background before politics, um, and as, you know, mayor of, uh, whatever city in Vermont he was mayor of, and then, um, kind of getting into the Senate and then voting against the Iraq war and being one of the few senators to do that. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of building this, uh, movement and creating, uh, platform within the Democratic Party to really take things like a federal minimum wage of $15 seriously and to take things like um, health, like national health care seriously, you know, and he really made that a mainstream um, topic. And I think that 
he, I think a lot of credit is due to him for that, you know? I agree. I, he was actually, so I was thinking about how we should do this. He was actually my number two overall. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good way of doing it. Is like, um, You can mark him off the list. Double. Yeah, the sure. first time we mention him, we'll, we'll kind of talk about yeah, him. Yeah, we don't need to talk list. about him twice, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I do, like you said, the fact that he's been in the public eye, in politics for so long, and has remained so true to his values and principles is downright impressive. I think that it's something that goes uh, kind of unsaid when he's in these campaigns. I think you see somebody like Biden, who we may or may not talk about later, and if you look back far enough, you can see a lot of these policies that have come back to bite you, even if it's not an intent, it's just kind of an outcome. And the fact that there are no policies that you can really point to of Bernie's that to criticize in a way that where he might have been on the wrong side of history is very impressive. Um, yeah. There are some issues over his, you know, his age and maybe a lot of his kind of more revolutionary ideas being co-opted by some of his younger competitors. But I do think that he, this is his last chance. And I think that he is a genuine candidate this time around. Yeah, I think he, I mean, the last time around, no one took him seriously because why would have anyone have taken him seriously? No, exactly. Uh, yeah. In terms of like, you look at his press conference when he announced and there was like, it was small. <laughs> it was yeah. tiny. But that was the whole kind of appeal of his campaign was he was the, you know, to to use a tired metaphor, he was the David and Hillary Clinton was the Goliath. And with Hillary Clinton's approach, basically of being, it's my turn. Um, yeah. I'll coast to the general election. And any mm-hmm. obstacle in my way is just uh, people... Uh, being detrimental to their own party, um, her not actually embracing the kind of democratic process of the primary um, made it really open to lane for him to capitalize on, um, even though he's a socialist. And um, he's kind of building on that and has really built a movement over the last three years of just a voice in the party. Like he was the face of the party that condemned Saudi Arabia and got us out of Yemen, you know? And he was that person, whereas I don't think necessarily before 2016, he would have been the person kind of uh, spearheading that in Congress. Absolutely. And I think that he does stand a better chance, not just because of his kind of name recognition and the seriousness in which people are taking his campaign, but also because of the reforms to the Democratic Party that his campaign last time kind of ended up spearheading in a way um, and the more egalitarian form of this year's elections. I also think that we can talk more about the actual primary process, but a lot of the early information about how big, just we spoke about it a little bit, but the field itself, probably 17 to 20 candidates who are trying to qualify, who have a serious chance of qualifying for the debates, is larger than any Democratic nomination in history. Mm. And the more candidates there are, the more people like Sanders who have actual revolutionary ideas or stand apart in some way, I think, stand out from the field and have a chance to kind of capture the popular imagination in a way that some kind of more centrist candidates might not be able to or would have a better chance doing so if there were four or five candidates. Yeah, I think that's a good point because the the John Delaney's and the Inslee's and the Hickenloopers, they're all just going to become this like morass of centrist white guy that people are going to forget about. 
I completely agree. I think that the benefits, I think everyone's trying to compare this with the Republican nomination from last time around. Um, and I think that the, one of the big differences between the two, even though the Republican nomination was so large, I think that the way that they tried to separate themselves was kind of with more populist claims, mm. kind of ridiculous policy things like the wall. But I think with the Democratic Party, I hope anyway that what they'll end up doing is trying to out-policy each other, um, trying to come up with the policy that is the most liked but also the most feasible. Um, and I do think s- s- people like that, like Hick and Looper, um, will have to come up with some sort of policy, some revolutionary policy that's to run their platform around or else they'll just disappear into the background. Yeah, and I think that's an asset for Andrew Yang, which we may or may not talk about. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so, uh, detriments. The reason he's not higher on my list, like, people who know me would probably be surprised that he's, you know, five of five on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's basically, you know, we're... Because you're a fascist. And you yeah. <laughs> we're, re- we're Republican operatives and listening to this and we're poo-pooing when we just heard Bernie Sanders being a legitimate candidate. Why would we do that? For me, age, um, so looking at the detriments, right, of Bernie Sanders, age is uh, unignorable. And for two reasons. I think um, age is a major contributing factor for me because of the message it sends about the Democratic Party that um, we basically have to let our candidates season themselves for 30 years before we take them seriously. That's with Biden too. That's with Hillary Clinton. Um, and I don't want that message to kind of perpetuate. Um, you get that with Nancy Pelosi in the house right now. And it seems like she's doing a good job. I'm not following super closely like her day to day, but it seems like she's doing a really good job. And Matt chastised me when I, when I kind of questioned whether she was the right kind of speaker of the house. Um, so anyways, you know, she's old, she's doing her job well, but president and president's a, a different ball game, especially in four years when he's what, 82, 83, uh, and looking to get reelected, like that's a tough sell. Absolutely. I think it makes his vice presidential selection, if he were to be nominated a lot more important than some of the other candidates. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think most people at this point, which is terrific for Bernie's campaign, know Bernie, they know his pros and cons. The fact that he uses the word socialist openly, I think, you know, plays well with millennials, but also is a, just a baseline, <laughs> immediate target for the Republican Party and some of the older candidates to vilify a lot of these types of policies. Yeah, um, I think... But yeah, I mean, uh, I think that he would be, he's the highest risk, high reward candidate. I think also has an actual chance. Yeah, I think also. I don't know if Bernie's great with nuance, which is another kind of like knock that I might have against him. Mm -hmm. I don't like. I completely get the messaging and the powerful messaging and the way he's communicated about like the one percent and income inequality, and I think that there is a lot of legitimacy to that statement. But I think once you start kind of breaking it down. I don't know if you can just like summarize our economic problems as 
you know, rich billionaires feasting on the rest of us. Like that seems a little bit too much of a conflation. And I'm suspicious of that as a somewhat progressive liberal. And so I think the kind of swing voters are who are more just traditional, either, you know, centrists are going to be like, well, do we have to completely, you know, throw, uh, throw out the old system? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we talk about how long his record is in government, but it's also been from this kind of outsider position since the beginning, right. which makes it tough to know if, you know, if the other side came to him and said, all right, we will reduce college prices and we'll subsidize them to where it's somewhere like the UK where it's, you know, $5,000 a year, but it's not free would he be willing to compromise on those sorts of things or is he going to be able to stick to his guns? And is that going to tank his approval rating if he does start to compromise because he's built this foundation of kind of purist leftist ideology? It would be interesting to see. I mean, I think that you have to try to compromise, but can, keeping that authenticity when you get into a position where you need to compromise can also be tough. Yeah, I think that's a big open question that you that you hit on is, is he capable of real compromise um and maybe that's a maybe that's a question we'll get into you know a little bit later um you know maybe or maybe in our next episode about mitch mcconnell we'll definitely get into it then is like is compromise at this moment in time from our side of the fence from the liberal side of the fence like is that an attractive uh option that we should be pursuing for the benefit of all americans or is that something that is uh, naive? Absolutely. All right, should we move on to the next candidate? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, you do your number five, yeah. Okay, so my number five, I was, I was torn. So you can tell me which one you'd rather do. I had Gillibrand and Biden both penciled in at number five. Let's do Gillibrand because I think we'll talk about Biden in our most likely electable, I imagine. Um, Probably. So let's yeah. talk is he not in your, are either of them in your top five? No. Um, no, neither of them are. Um, okay. so yeah, I'm interested to see, uh, why Gillibrand kind of made it for you. Okay. So I've tried to base mine. I think, so here's my thinking around the democratic process as a whole. I think that this could either be a kind of fallback election for the Democrats where they just try to reverse the policies of Trump or they could try to push for actual change. This is a moment where we're primed for someone to come in and actually stimulate America to bring in actual change, something that every president promises and very few actually put the, you know, the pedal to the metal to try to drive through in those first two years when you kind of have that public mandate. Um, and I really, really appreciate politicians that base their kind of candidacy around policy issues themselves. Um, and I am a huge fan of the parental leave policy, universal paid parental leave that Gillibrand has supported. Mm. And I haven't seen any of the other candidates that have kind of backed that strain of, mm. of policy. Um, I do think that she is electable. I think that she has done a good job within the Democratic Party, making herself stand out considering – that she doesn't necessarily have the background to do so, which makes me think that she would she will do well in the in the debates a lot better than people think. Hmm. Um, and I think that it's nice to have at least one other female candidate in the kind of the discussion of the top top four or five 
Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoy her parental leave policy. I like everything that she said so far. She she seems to know how to play the game. She's you know she announced her bid on uh, Colbert's show, which I think is smart to try to kind of target that millennial class. Um, so she she seems to know what she's doing. She's said all the right things so far, um, and her. Focus on policy is really what's what got me to include her in the list. Also, I just didn't want to talk about Biden as much because we all know him and it didn't seem as fun. Yeah, uh, good for her for calling out Al Franken kind of yeah, immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that was a good move. I think that's generally been a good move for the Democratic Party when they called out the, um, the governor of Virginia, uh, who I think has kept his job after even after all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like calling out members of our own who engage in the behavior that we find reprehensible in the other party is generally the right and good approach. And I've been proud of people like leadership that have done that. Um, because I think it's, I, I think it just sets us apart from all of the mess that this president and all of the not all of the people, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, this president and some of the people he associates or endorses engage in. Yeah, I agree. I think she she also has some questionable policy choices early in her career that she is pretty, it seems very authentically come out against and said that she's she apologizes for. And I think that... Wait, what do you mean? They were more like centrist, bipartisan? Absolutely. So yeah. she she was... Very kind of buddy buddy with kind of Wall Street donors in the beginning. Right. Um, she had a very strong anti-immigrant stance early on in her career. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and she's come out against those things and said, you know, I grew up in this area. I was thinking for this local area, and I didn't really think about the larger consequences. And I think at this day and age, being able to realize our own faults and improve ourselves, kind of the narrative that she's built around, is something that I think is not only more believable than someone who's just been pure because everyone, you know, everyone makes mistakes, but is also something we need more than someone who's never messed up and can't really uh, identify with as, as a nation. Yeah, no, I think that, um, I think that's well said. Um, so, uh, cons, um, name recognition has got to be the, the number one name recognition. Definitely. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, the fact that I'm struggling for cons is indication also of her media coverage. Like she hasn't nearly gotten as much attention as seven other people that I can name. Right. So I think that that's problematic for her in trying to make herself stand out. Like we talked about before. Mm hmm. I think she needs to rebrand her campaign. I, I, I mean, I'm sure she loves her last name, but it's it's genuinely just too hard to pronounce and say. And I think she needs to shorten it or have something a little more catchy that brings to the mind her campaign. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's something up to the, the policy wonks. But I do think that she has an outside chance, especially in a field so big um, as a female, as somebody who kind of has that liberal streak but also isn't – I don't, seen as too uh, kind of left wing for. This I don't interest. think being uh, on the con side. I don't think being from New York helps. I don't think that's enough. Definitely not. There's way too many northeastern candidates, and we can talk about that as we go on. But did you know that the Democratic Party has never 
uh, nominated a Westerner? Like someone from the West Coast for a president? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's mind not even Not no, even the West I've Coast, never... like west of the Mississippi. <laughs> that's a really interesting stat. Wow. And it's, it's not going to be this time around. Well, Kamal Harris, maybe. Um, okay, cool. So number four, well, that's a good segue. Uh, number four is Kamala Harris for me. Okay, uh, I'm about to... Did she I'm make your list? To, she's number one. Oh! She's number one on my list. I Okay. Yeah, number one. Kamala Harris. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about why she made our list. Um I think she speaks with conviction, and I think that really helps her communicate. Um, and part of the reason she speaks with conviction, um, I didn't mean to be uh, too punny there, but I mean, I am in, <laughs> I am in the presence, uh, orally, of the king of puns. So maybe that's why that uh, came out like that. Yeah, I'm the, the punisher, is what they say. <laughs> that was a genuine laugh, actually. <laughs> usually, usually they're like pity laughs. Um, for all you listeners at home, but that was great. Um, so yeah, uh, puns aside. So she was a attorney general for California. She was prosecutor before that. Um, I think that could potentially be an asset for her in terms of swing voters, people on the fence, more conservative leaning types who don't like Trump being kind of like the tough on crime message for those swing voters in the general election, I think is an asset. Um, She has to balance that against kind of the criminal justice reform that she's talked about and kind of more of the Cory Booker uh, side of defense of um, really wanting like substantial criminal justice reform in in that respect. So she's kind of walking a tightrope there, but I think she's handling it pretty well. And um, it just gives her more um standing i think when she's kind of in these hearings and when she's um talking about matters uh matters of the law to put it in the, in a really mm. opaque terms but no i um, agree i i think she, i tried not to let the electability factor sway my rankings here but they definitely did in the case of Harris at least some I think she's extremely electable, and we can talk about this in following our our top. Yeah, five. we'll do that part um, two. But yeah, but she she just I don't know if you saw this just yesterday came out with kind of her one of her signature policy platforms as well, which is a huge pay rise for teachers. Hmm. She's trying to basically make teaching uh, become kind of a high end profession um, and make it kind of build a as the foundation of America's education system, which is something I thoroughly support. So I'm, I'm that swayed me and moved her up a couple spots because I think that's something that I haven't seen any of the other candidates really focus on education. And I do think it's something that the Democrats particularly have an advantage on and something that they can kind of latch to, um, Mm. that the Republican party might not have, um, in their back pocket. So I think that that is a huge benefit. I also think that just as a speaker and, her background and the amount of kind of publicity she's going to be able to get as a minority, as the first potential, the first you know female president and the first woman of color to be potentially nominated for the Democratic Party, I think she can bring in a lot of bases without having to swing too far to the left. 
but mm-hmm. while also keeping that kind of underlying very liberal streak. Um, and I think that places her in a better spot than a lot of the other candidates. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think she has an interesting mix, yeah, of kind of now... I don't want to accuse her of like now shifting progressive because I'm not super mm-hmm. familiar with her voting record prior to this, but kind of having that mix, like you're saying, of being able to appeal to the center, but having like a very strong undercurrent of progressive like credentials as part of her platform. Um, uh, absolutely. We can talk about her more on the electability side, but uh, yeah, okay. So she no, was my, she idea. was my number one. She's your number one. Okay, so let's go to your one. number one. So you've four. knocked out my number one and my number two already. Okay, so I, my number four is my would have been my guess for your number one. And it's okay. uh, Beto. 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 He's my number three. Okay, okay. So you have him slightly higher than I do. I think that, yeah, I mean, well, what what do you think is his biggest weakness? Because he, unlike a lot of the other candidates, the reason I have Wait. him ranked... Should we talk about – so we'll talk about the cons of Kamala Harris for the electability Yeah, we'll talk about that because we mostly just talked about the positives. I think that he's done impressively well considering his lack of kind of national prominence until, you know, this year. Um, I think that he has the name recognition that he needs. He's to a point where he has all the name recognition he needs going into the debates. I do think that – he needs a policy platform. It's hard for me to rank him any higher than four just because he doesn't seem to have that signature policy that a lot of the other candidates do. Um, but I think that he is incredibly charismatic. I think that he comes from kind of a very authentic place. He reminds me a lot of Obama, actually, um, in the way he carries himself. I, re- I listened to a podcast on The Economist. I know I'm such a traitor. Um, but the they were saying that in an interview with him, he seemed like Obama, you know, a version of Obama that actually enjoyed kind of getting his hands dirty with donors and like the the dark side of politics that he he didn't mind that and so he might be even a a little bit more able to kind of reach across and into the policy sphere uh when he needs to oh that's an interesting point um yeah you gotta wonder how he's raising so much money um so beto it's like motherfucker knows how to communicate you know he has the presidential look, absolutely. He seems well, he just, presidential. He just, I think that the reason we're all taking him so seriously and the reason everyone's making fun of him on the right and that he's getting so much attention is that like he can com- he can communicate to the average person. And that's a really powerful thing that so many candidates can't do, you know? To just like the average like centrist type person, like being from Texas, I think is such a huge asset for him because he's already had just gone through the ringer of having to appeal to people who, you know, the rest of us thought were like red conservative blooded Mm -hmm. people, you know, in the most conservative state we could think of. But I think having so much success there and being able to communicate for um, kind of that shared vision of Texas, I think he can kind of really adapt a lot of that messaging and has adapted a lot of a lot of that messaging to the shared kind of vision for America. Um, and I think that being the only candidate from the border really, really helps too in his messaging and being like, hey, I grew up in El Paso. I know these people. I know this city. I know it experientially and I know the data and it's wrong what's been said about it. It's actually one of the safest um, in America. 
and I, I think do that agree his, that that gives him a big advantage. Yeah, and I think that Northeast. he's, I think he's articulated himself well in talking about the major issues in terms of um, border issues and kind of just like the character, kind of like character issues of the president and also um, healthcare to a certain degree. I think that part of the reason that he's appealed so widely could possibly be because he hasn't zeroed down into exactly what his policy platform is. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's getting a lot of heat for that. Um, And understandably so. Like, I don't... People who are like, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? When he's asked those questions, um, like, to his face, I don't feel like he's had any big gaffes. I think he's been like, these are complicated issues. Here's what I feel about them. But we're going to figure out more along the way. And I don't want to detail every single thing that I would do now because the country's going to change and it's going to look differently when I'm there. So I am sharing with you the vision. And as we're getting kind of closer and as we understand these problems better, we'll introduce more of kind of the specific implementation of that vision. Um, so I actually kind of, I actually kind of buy that. Um, and, and a lot of people will probably think I'm stupid for, for buying, like actually believing him when he says that, because I, I don't know. I, I think he's had a lot of time to think this through and it would be easy to like just take a buffet of everyone else's like policy issues, throw it on the website and be like, look, I'm, you know, I, I have all this platform, but I think he's honestly trying to approach it in like a sensible way. I don't know. I mean, I, the fact that he hasn't come up with anything yet doesn't mean he won't. I think that he's the biggest wild card on my list, even more so than Sanders, because you kind of know what you're getting, even if it is untraditional. The fact that Beto could go either direction and kind of either swaying as the main centrist candidate or become kind of the more electable left-leaning side of the Democrats makes him very intriguing as a potential. I just, I just think he's the one person in my list who doesn't, um, add to the polarization in the country, but, or make it worse. Um, and it, but, but I don't say, cause there's people higher on my list. So it's not like, that's not my yeah, number yeah, yeah. one priority. So I'm not yeah. saying that the people who are adding to the polarization, that it's, their fault or even that it's a bad thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in some ways he could be a reconciliatory force um, in a way towards uh, just kind of bringing together th- uh, the two parties through him um, in a way that I just, you would never see in a million years of Bernie. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting. All right. So we should, we can talk about a little bit more about his electability yeah, sure. after this, but, uh, I only have one more on my list. Can I, how many do you have left? We've already gone through all yours. I have two. I have one more that I haven't said, but, uh, can I guess you try to guess your other two? Um, well, you can guess my two. I don't want to, I don't want to do boom, boom because it okay, all right, leaves all the mystery out right, for right, number right, one. Right, right. I'm guessing. Wait, who is your three? Did we go through your three? I'm not going to tell you yet because then you would have two left and I would have none. That's unfair. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Guess yeah. my number two then. <laughs> I'm guessing Cory Booker. Yeah, it's Cory Booker. Um, so... so He's not on my list, but I know you're, you've you been a Cory Booker fan for a long time. I think like I was putting this together today and I, like, I honestly didn't know where I was going to put Booker on the list or if he'd even make the list because I feel like he 
Maybe because he's been in the public consciousness for so long and people knowing he, he wants to be president, maybe that's uh-huh. the reason he hasn't got as much attention or maybe he hasn't, you know, like garnered the attention that he needs to in terms of like to, to really kind of build up the campaign they needs. But um, Cory Booker, the reason he's so high is that I genuinely believe that his messaging is one of kind of the like restorative justice peace reconciliation, like, let's bring people together, work across the aisle, fix these issues. Um, and I you still I believe that, that comes from his heart, you know? Like, I actually yeah. believe that that dude means it, but I also, and we can go into the cons of this, like, a little bit later, so I'll go into the cons a little bit later, but I genuinely think that he has a heart for, like, bringing people together, but also caring about the marginalized. Um, and I know that's really kind of vague, but I just feel like his um, messaging, as it has manifested in the particulars of his criminal justice reform, which he was one of like the major people um, associated with and kind of spearheading, which was accomplished under you know Trump's um, administration. So I think that's demonstrated a lot of... Demonstrated to me that he cares more about helping people from this policy than he does about the cold personality on the right in the presidency right now. And I think that's a powerful thing. He was also one of the sponsors of the Green New Deal as well, um, mm. which is interesting. I, so you think that I, – I, I totally agree with you about his underlying desire to kind of be a unifier between the parties. But you still think that he'd be more divisive than Beto or has the potential yeah. to be more divisive just because of his race or – are you calling me brave? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's a no. I think that that's genuinely a factor in this. No, yeah, yeah. No, sadly, sadly, it is. Sadly, factor, it is. Yeah, because um, I think no, I think that I, has got to be one of the only things that separates him from Beto, because he he seems to be even less controversial than Beto in my. I don't necessarily think reading. it's. I don't see it as race as much as like you don't. Wait, you don't been, see race. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. Is he black? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um I think it's more a thing of um he's been in the public consciousness for a lot a lot longer in terms of this media cycle. Even though he's only been a few years longer, like the media mm-hmm. cycle, like people have been aware of him for a long time. Also and as a presidential candidate, he's kind of seemed like he was gonna run for president for a decade. Exactly. And I think that yeah. I think that goes against him. Like I think uh-huh. um I, I think all I the so we'll just go into his cons right now. Like uh, his kind of coziness with big pharma, um, I think is kind of runs a little bit counter to his progressive agenda. Um, but you could argue like, well, he was looking out for uh, his constituents in New Jersey and pharmaceuticals are a huge industry in New Jersey. So like, yeah, I think that that's a legitimate argument. However, as you're kind of like representing the whole country, paying yourself as a progressive candidate, people are going to look into that and have some questions. Um, I think the reason to kind of answer your question of why I see him less as a reconciliatory force as Beto, that's just in practice. It's not necessarily in essence. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. So um, the reason of that is because his um, he was seriously considered, at least from the reporting that I remember in 2016, he was seriously considered as a VP candidate for Hillary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is really detrimental, just like being associated with her campaign in a really kind of like solidified context. He was 
very much in like stumping for Hillary in 2016 and yeah, not yeah. for Bernie at kind of an inflection point in that um, primary cycle. And so I think that hurts him. Um, I think that because That's of true. his, and I don't think ambition is bad. I just think because of his political ambition, that's been kind of like, you know, chronicled for the last few years or even before that. I think people are going to look at that as like a little, a little less kindly than like this, this guy Beto who came on the scene, like really just like flash in the pan, like really knows how to communicate and kind of, you know, send it. So that's just why I think that he'd be maybe less effective. Gotcha. My two cents on his electability. I think that kind of like a, a sports analogy, which isn't very original, but I do think that his problem is that he doesn't really hold a comparative advantage over any of the subgroups of these nominees right. in any one area. I think that he would he's going to struggle to kind of light a fire under his candidacy in the way you need to kind of stand out in these these debates and in this arena with so many candidates. I think that the fact that Kamala Harris kind of steals a lot of that same voter base in kind of a more revolutionary, kind of less known type of way. She can kind of reinvent herself as a national politician in a way he can't. Mm. Mm. And he isn't really have the credentials to compete with Bernie or any of the real leftists or have the kind of centrist appeal that the centrists do. He kind of has, I think he'll be relevant till the end because I think he will be a party favorite the same people that voted for Clinton and the same party backers that supported Clinton, I think he'll get a lot of endorsements. As seen, he's actually leading the endorsement count right now um, mm. on 538, well, um, I which think I think will keep him relevant for a long time. But I just don't yeah. think he has that kind of shock and awe factor that some of these other candidates do. I, I think you, I think you articulated it really well because I think that that. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm like having a brain fart. The recommendations was it. Which for what? Oh, the endorsements? Endorsements, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the endorsements, that actually, um, it leads to like another strength of why he's so high on my list is that I think he's qualified. Like I think he's qualified in a way that Beto is not qualified. And I think that he's like having some credentials in the Senate, being young, being like he hits so many boxes of things that I'm looking for for the party to represent. So like, and I think a lot of those endorsements reflect that is that he's, been around, he knows how DC works. He's been in the Senate. He's been um, at the local level as well. He's been mayor. He's, uh, yeah, I think he went mayor to Senate, right? Mayor of New York to, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. you're right, though. I think he was. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's the thing is that he, that's why he's such a party favorite is that not only, he doesn't have any comparative advantage, but he also doesn't have any comparative weaknesses. There's no area yeah, yeah, where yeah. you can kind of target his record except for his connections to the Hillary campaign. Right. And you already no, spoke I think about that's a good that. point. Um, so who's your number two? Where well, we've already talked about him, huh? So Bernie. it's my number. Th- my number three is the only one I have left. Oh, okay. And you mentioned you mentioned him earlier. Do you remember? Can you take a guess? This is your number three. This is my. This is my number three. I had he was number five. Number f- I moved him around a bunch, but I wanted to have him in here because he's not going to be in the electability side, which is a clue. Is it Buttigieg? No, but I thought I feel like you might have him on yours, but no. This is, is uh, it, so let's see. He's ranked number fifteen. Is it Biden? 
No, he's ranked number fifteen on uh, the Rolling Stones list. So that's oh, it's Andrew Yang. Little... Andrew Yang, yeah, yeah. Exactly. See, I uh, know. I don't know why. I guess I was guessing that Andrew Yang was going to be your number one. Of course, yeah. No, he's, he's on my guy. list. Of course, Andrew I, Yang I was definitely that. swayed by the electability. I couldn't put him number one just because it seemed a little. Uh, on the nose, trying to pick somebody who literally has no chance in the in the campaign. Well, but I mean, who knows, dude? Like, who knows? Um, he made the debate I saw, which is great. Sixty thousand. It's terrific. I I mainly put him on my list because I think that he is the exact opposite of of Beto. Right? He he is one hundred percent policy. His entire platform yeah. is I have these revolutionary policies, and it's not just UBI. He has. Quite a few very interesting policies that I don't think I've ever even heard anyone else even mention, um, which will, I think, hopefully, if he has that stage, he'll be able to bring some of these things up and maybe those things can get incorporated into another uh, candidate's policy platform. And I think Is that's his... the type of thing that can actually be a benefit of having such a large candidate pool. Yeah, he's interesting. He because he, he doesn't say UBI. What does he call it? like Freedom Advantage or what's his coinage? Yeah, I think he calls it. Wait, let me see. He calls it something. He like I... he pulled all these different names and he said that like something like freedom. Uh, he said like people didn't like universal basic income just as a term, but they liked the concept, and so they were like fiddling with like a bunch of different terminology for it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the fact that he's basically come out of nowhere as a non-politician shows how popular that policy is. Just right. In and of no, itself. that's a good point. Um, so he he does reference it as UBI, but I think he uses a couple other phrases as well. And we're going to have, just for listeners, we're going to have a whole episode on universal basic income soon, so we won't go into too much detail about it here. Mm. I don't think it would actually be a good policy for a national campaign at the moment. I don't think mm. it is even remotely tested enough to be rolled out on a national scale. Uh, but I think that but having him on the platform, factor. absolutely, and I think having him on the platform will be enough for them to take seriously the idea of rolling it out in smaller scales or maybe having a statewide UBI. Um, I think it solves a lot of problems to do with immigration and a lot of other things. Um, we'll talk about this on the other campaign, but I think that a lot of his ideas are actual, genuine, revolutionary ideas that would not even have been contemplated a decade ago. Um, and I think we're at that point in time where the U.S. is kind of looking for some way to redefine itself. Um, and I think that these types of policies, the fact that they're even relevant is genuinely uh, very exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's a good – I think he um, I think he articulates himself really well. He was on Fox Business talking about how the – I believe is the dichotomy of capitalism-socialism – Mm-hmm. is just um, completely outdated and, like, we shouldn't use that terminology anymore because yeah. of I, something I've appreciated um, him talking about a lot and something that I feel like has made him stand out uh, above from the candidates is how much he talks about automation and that that yeah, is actually yeah. what's kind of, eat, like, taking away all these jobs and not immigration. I totally agree. I think I, the fact that that hasn't been the main talking point for the Dem- Democratic Party in response to the kind of immigration hatred and the, the kind of vilification of illegal immigrants is crazy to me. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think if you were to merge um, Beto's immigration messaging and Andrew Yang's automation messaging Absolutely. and make that one message that that is the right approach because I do people, think that if, yeah, because people Absolutely. know, like if you explain, you can explain automation in one sentence and everyone's like, oh yeah, of course. And, and you don't have to be educated or anything 
to like know you, you to Everyone's, know and to you know, see. They've seen that. iRobot, the Terminator, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that if I think Andrew Yang can kind of like ride those kind of like few policy horses, but I think that he has to caution against getting like way too nitty gritty too fast like his policy platform on his website is like insane (laughs) it's like everything is is thought about and explained which i think is good but i think you know you gotta you gotta focus on a couple i don't think think he's he's a serious candidate but i think he's great to have at the debates because i think he has very distinct policies some of them are great some of them i'm skeptical about but the fact that they're even in the discussion is terrific yeah no i i completely agree and i think also he'll be he'll be such a good kind of voice for like, why are we still talking about like, like liberals and conservatives? Like it's not the yeah, right yeah, yeah. framework, you know, yeah. because he's kind of a technocrat. Um, Absolutely. Uh, he help. also has a, a plan to monitor and reward gov- uh, volunteer work as kind of a national system of volunteer. I heard about him talking about this on Freakonomics. I think it's an interesting idea, like the implementation of that <laughs> for a place. I, uh, you know, it's hard. For we me can to talk about. That. We can debate this on a short, uh, a short episode at some point in time. Okay. But I think that a lot of countries have required volunteering, which is like a year-long volunteer uh, ship that you do after high school. Um, yeah. You can either do military service or volunteer service, and I think that would be an amazing way to integrate immigrants into. Can you do can, can you do the voluntary thing in Israel, or does it have to be military in Israel? I do yeah. not know the, the Israel-specific policy, but okay. we'll have an episode on that, and we can talk all about it. We'll do some more okay, cool. advance. All right, so uh, who's your... Should we talk about my your, number one? Yeah, who's your number one? I can't believe we haven't said it yet. Let me, you want to guess? Well, yeah, yeah. Give me a guess. Let me, one second. Hmm. This is... Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't gotten to your number one. Let's see. Is it... It's it's not. I mean, the, the the most prominent candidate we haven't mentioned is Elizabeth Warren. It's not her. I'm gonna. I say, hope you're all guessing at home. I'm gonna say yeah. They better be. I'm sure there's family debates breaking out. Probably <laughs> entire entire buses just getting up on each other. Uh, I'm gonna go with Ju- Julian Castro. I don't know. No, Booty Judge. Okay, I should have gotten that. He you mentioned him earlier. Um, I, yeah, this I don't know. was unlikely for me. Even I didn't think that I was going to put him number one. Um, this could be recency bias too. Like I cop to that because um, I've been lo- watching a lot of uh, interviews yeah, with yeah, him yeah. recently. Um, so yeah, let me just give give my two cents real quick, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, so, do it. You know, you'll know more about him than I do. So, so maybe two months ago. I was like, there's a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, running for president, and he's 37. Like, yeah. what are you doing, man? Like, just get out. Like, stop. Like, get uh-huh. out of the way. Like, we uh-huh. have enough people running. Like, let's focus on the kind of serious candidates and stop, like, drowning out, like, watering down and diluting the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I started listening to the fella. <laughs> And, um, he, he hooked you, huh? No, I mean, I gotta say, like, the way that he so comfortably articulate, like, puts his finger on the problem and also doesn't denigrate those perpetuating the problem is magnificent to watch. It's, like, incredible to watch for me. Because 
usually I'll see people pointing out the problem and immediately they go to how Trump's going to end the world kind mm-hmm. of thing. And Buttigieg is like, yeah, like Trump's not, you know, he's not making it better, but it's really like Trump's just a system, a symptom of kind of a, a greater flaw in our democracy. And I think it's fixable. And I think it's, and just the, the comfortability with which he articulates why he's in the race, what he wants to accomplish and what's wrong with Washington and how, and what he sees on the local level. Um, and then mixed in with like his, uh, experience serving, uh, you know, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, also, like, the way that he's handled the optics around him being, like, the f- not the first gay candidate, but m- po- possibly the first, like, uh, gay candidate. I'd say candidate he's probably who, already more popular than any other serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think history. that's fair to yeah. say already. Yeah. So the way he's anyway. handled the optics around it where he's, like, not ashamed about talking about his husband, but he's yeah. also not. And this is crucial. He's not like, I'm the gay candidate. Yeah. Yeah, like, of course. Yeah, yeah. That is hugely... And it's not because I, sh- I... Just the way that he talks about his sexuality, I think is the way that so many people are like dying to hear um, the LGBT community talk about their sexuality, where it's like a big part of my life. It's not the one only thing you need to know about me, you know? Absolutely. I do think that he, like the democratic party isn't competing for candidate for the population that doesn't support gay marriage anymore. Right. So I don't think that that really hurts him at all on kind of a national election front, which is great. You know, I mean, it's a sign of the times that's good and bad. Um, and that there's that intransigent minority that's going to always be against that. But the fact that it doesn't necessarily rule him outright is is terrific. And I, I do think he's an outsider. He's one of the only outsider candidates that I think has a genuine shot because he has so far carried himself so well in speaking events that I do think in a massive platform of those debates, he could genuinely separate himself with well, just yeah. very and articulate also, like, thinking. You think about him facing off against Trump and like the the disparity. And I just, I know that he'll refuse to kind of play to like get sucked into trump's uh rhetoric and i don't necessarily i can't count on that from bernie or beto or kamala harris i think i can count on that from cory booker too but like with with uh Buttigieg, it's kind of like no like this is a different paradigm i'm you know he talks about being like the millennial candidate and i think that's a good like generational change moment and i think that um there's one specific example that for anyone who hasn't, who doesn't know who Pete Buttigieg is, um, who's listening to this or who has never kind of heard an interview with him. He was on the CNN town hall and he was talking about, um, Mike Pence who comes from his home state of Indiana. Mike Pence is a former governor of Indiana before he was, um, VP. And, um, he just talked about how he can't figure out how Mike Pence you know, he it was talking about how he like vehemently disagrees with him on like policy, but he still thought that Mike Pence had like an uh, wasn't personally corrupt and had a respect for the institutions. But then mm-hmm. he's just talking about like how does someone as religious as he is become the cheerleader for the porn star presidency? 
And that kind of, that um, criticism of Pence and then the larger criticism of kind of conservatism in this era and of Trump Mm -hmm. himself and that like soundbite of porn star presidency, that like to me, that completely encapsulated, I was like, this guy knows the moment that we're living in and can explain it well and succinctly. And that was so powerful, I think, to me. Yeah, and, and in terms of in terms of his electability, the fact you know, making up for the fact that he doesn't really have that name recognition are these kind of idiosyncrasies that he has, and also the fact that he's also not from the the northeast. I think which also gives him a huge advantage. I think something I've um, yeah, and also he's from the flyover country that the Democratic Party's been ignoring for who knows Absolutely. how long. You know, yeah. So I think yeah. that's a big asset, and also. Um, I was talking to JJ about this and how uh, he uh, – let's see. I lost my train of thought. Um, Buttigieg. Mm, no. Well, how about, how about we skip ahead and I think we're, we're going over a little bit in time here. I don't know. Yeah, let's go to – let's talk, talk about this. electability. So we talked about a lot of the electability in most of these. Just pick a couple people that you think are ext- more electable than we rated them in our list. Should we talk about Biden? Yeah, I had Biden as number two. I just made like a okay, just kind of a draft like electability. I mean, he's I leading. Biden he hasn't even he hasn't even declared yet, and he's already leading all the polls in terms of right. you know predicted vote share. He does have two failed presidential bids on his resume right. already, um, but I do think he's going to run, and I do think he will be the center of attention until someone steals it away from him. Um, so here we, we kind of talk pros and cons, right? Yeah. Yeah. So cons, like the cons for Biden, it does not, for me, that's why he wasn't on my list. Like they, his pros do not in any way outweigh all the Obama baggage and all of the stuff. Like people are just going to bring up the eight years of Obama. And for a lot of Americans, those weren't a good eight years for them in this country. And I don't want somebody from the past who's like taking us into the future, just like the the optics of it, I think are a disaster. Um, The reason I said most likely is just for the reasons you just touched on electability um, or I mean, name recognition is like huge. Um, I think people feel like he's kind of, he's like a boxer who can get in the ring and, and knock out Trump. <laughs> like he's got yeah. that kind yeah. of vibe. Um, so I think it's more like a gut instinct when voters who aren't, you know, following this as closely as we are just like, Oh, Biden, that dude can beat Trump and we just want someone to beat Trump. Well, you he's know? authentic as well. We talked about that. You need that yeah. sort of in one way or the other, you need that authenticity and people care about that. So the yeah, he four... says fuck. Yeah, exactly. So the four <laughs> top voting uh, on betting sites, there are four candidates that are way ahead um, in terms of their odds. Can you guess? Oh, the can four? I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll do Biden, Bernie, Beto, all the bees, um, and then Elizabeth Warren. You had three or four. Harris is the fourth one. Harris. Oh, I was gonna guess. Harris. She's actually number one. She's the number one ranked in in the bookies' odds right now. Yeah, her odds are the shortest. Of, yeah. of any of the Democratic candidates. I think that um, makes a lot of sense. Actually, I in this kind of like, you know, uh, draft list I did, I had Kamala Harris as the one most electable. Um, yeah, 
yeah, kind yeah. of slash most likely person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I see a lot of, I think what, so now we should talk about like the cons of Kamala Harris. Cause I feel like we didn't really talk about, yeah, we didn't really, we, I mean, we can, we, I think the only things we really need to touch on, we need to talk about Elizabeth Warren a second, just cause she is so yeah. prominent in the party and we need to talk about Harris's cons. Um, so Harris, I don't like the kind of identity politics that she's willing to engage in and exploit. And by this, I mean, I I feel like she's pretty, pretty quick to be like, oh yeah, reparations. That's like, that's a good idea. It needs to happen. We'll do it. Um, and I'm not against reparations philosophically, but (laughs) I, no one, yeah, I know. But no one's even approached remotely articulating how it would, no one that I'm aware of, how it would, who would receive reparations, who would pay into the pool that they come from, how they would be distributed, how long it would last. Like any of the details that for something like this, when it comes to an economic policy, really, really, really matter. I do agree. I think that the fact that she is so electable has has a chance to come back and kind of bite her in the ass in the fact that she has so far kind of kowtowed to the left in a way yeah. that has kind of made it so that she hasn't really defined what she stands for herself. Yeah. Um, and it does it does definitely makes her come off as kind of insincere. Like she's playing or like opportunistic. Game. Absolutely. And I think that's definitely not something that you want to look like, or at least isn't something that's very unappealing to a lot of voters. Um, I think if she can kind of draw the line at to where on the left, how far she goes, how willing she is to kind of placate these very radical voices will show that she is, in fact, the front runner. Yeah, Um, I think people are going to look at her. They're going to they're going to take a. A look with a lot of scrutiny on her career as attorney general and then and then point out all the discrepancies in her general election type you know bid absolutely and i think that that is why she's tried so far to kind of overly state her liberal credentials right right um but i think that that's probably not the strategy she should be going for i think she should stick to her guns and say yeah, I'm liberal, but I do think that there are also bad policies that come from this side as well. And here's the policies Absolutely. I stand for, which is why I was so um, thrilled when she's she's actually have a couple pretty prominent policies in her campaign now, which I think is is necessary. A big tax reform, and like I said earlier, the education centrality of her campaign. Yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about Elizabeth Warren for just really quickly? Yeah, I mean, I'll just put this bluntly: if you think that Elizabeth Warren <laughs> is our best shot. Uh, at beating Trump, you are tone deaf to a degree that I can't help you. <laughs> I agree. I think that the everything uh, – it's a real bummer because I do think her policies are terrific. I think that that oh, is – Oh, here's – yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but electability, no way. There's no, no here's, the, here's the caveat. I, I say that and I might come across as someone like, whoa, why don't you like Elizabeth Warren kind of thing? No, I took a I took kind of like one of those blind quizzes where it's like where do you where do you stand yeah, yeah, yeah. on whatever? And I actually <laughs> Oprah was my my top, but I'll just put her she's, aside uh, yeah, in terms of like uh, person who represented my um, policies in what I voted on this kind of blind survey. 
Um, number two was Biden, and then number three was Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. So she was even before Booker and Kamala Harris and all those people. So it's not to say that like my kind of like belief system and the way that I hear Elizabeth Warren talking about issues and policies, I don't necessarily have a problem with any of that. It's just like, man, optics, um, how cozy she was with Hillary Clinton, um, how just uh, kind of antagonistic thing. she's been towards the right in not in in not an appealing way, not in like in a Bernie appealing way. Um, it's really I just don't. I agree. I would have had her in my top five if I hadn't let electability rankings cloud my my poll. But uh, yeah, I don't think she stands a chance personally. Even though she's ranked very highly in pretty much all the metrics, I don't think. I mean, maybe I honestly think she might have a chance of winning the Democratic nominee, unfortunately, but I don't think she has any chance of winning the presidency, which would be a disaster for the Democrats if she was elected. All right, after this break, we're going to talk about... Uh, Jordan Peele's new movie, uh, Us. Oh, spiritual follow-up to Get Out. So. See you in a bit. Welcome back. Um, so... Morgan and I went to the movies on separate continents and saw we saw um, Us, a horror movie from Jordan Peele, uh, who famously did Get Out, which he won Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for. Um, toss it to you, Morgan. Impressions. Okay, well, right away, do you think better or worse than Get Out? or would, Did you enjoy it more or less than Get Out? Way less. Okay. I mean, it's a horror movie. The other one was like a suspense adventure comedy, essentially. It's a, it's a different type of movie. It wasn't, that wasn't why. I, I know, but I'm saying they're totally different genres. And you can, some people just genuinely don't like horror movies. And so even if you appreciated it as much, you wouldn't have enjoyed the experience. Which, yeah. I, I also enjoyed it less. I think that it did have me thinking about it for a long time. But I think that a lot of – I mean it's, it's tough because he wants to be a filmmaker that has all these motifs and you know, metaphors and s- imagery and symbolism throughout. But I think that leads you down a path where you kind of lose sight of the underlying plot line and it leads you to kind of put in – He kind of I think he puts in too many of those things and – the quality of them is taken away by the quantity of them. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. Um, first off, great Lupita performance. She was awesome. Of course. I, I, should, I think we should say really quickly, are we going to ruin this? Is this a, or is this a spoiler-free? I don't... I mean, I kind of want to ruin it, but... What's, All what right, we're going to say this. You should turn it off right now if you haven't seen it. Yeah, turn but it off. We, we're yeah, saying... Well, okay, tell them before then, should they see it? That way, they can come back if they. I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't recommend it. I, but really? I, I was entertained. I thought it was like if you want just like a fun time out and are interested in it, like yeah, go see it. But if you're expecting something in the ballpark of Get Out, it's not nearly as good. And like, don't waste your time, kind of thing. You know. Perfect. I would say if you enjoy kind of reading about movies afterwards and reading Reddit lines and trying to find out what things mean, or if you just enjoy horror movies, go see it. If you're expecting it to be Get Out stay home wait for it on dvd yeah 
TVD. Um, so I just think that, like, Act 3 was, like, nonsensical in a way that there's so much overblown exposition. Um, there was, like, I feel like they bungled kind of an interesting twist at the end by just layering it with so much, like, and here's the conspiracy I started. And here's how you contributed it to it. And here's, like, all, I just, too many threads, man. Like I totally agree. I think the twist was terrific. I think that the exposition, especially having someone who can't really talk overly speak about this exactly detailed That's a great cons- point. This detailed conspiracy in like this contrived way is like yeah, very odd and not particularly helpful. I just found the whole um strained voice Lupita thing really distracting from the first word that she said. Yeah, that's fair. And I thought that that took away from how scary it could have been. Because I thought the like the like kid monster was really scary. I thought that was incredible. And I thought that the scene with like the car on fire was like really well done. Just every time Lupita number 2 opened her uh just like talked, I was just like uh, it just took me out of the movie so much because it seemed, it kind of seemed like a joke at first, but then you're like, oh no, this is the choice that, oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I totally agree. I think, I, I mean, I think as a metaphor for kind of how the middle and upper classes treat the impoverished section of society, which I think is the basic metaphor that he's going yeah. for. It was almost too heavy handed and not heavy handed enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I think like yeah you get it but it, there was nothing below the su- the surface it was like yeah there's you know this hands across america thing that failed and it's similar to these other things but there wasn't the kind of layered factors that had in get out where it was like this contributes to this to this there are all these different aspects that make it this horror i think it was just kind of like yeah this exists and this is similar in this kind there of there was just, analogy there was no continuity between the social commentary all of the different social commentaries that he was making. There was no, like, binding continuity between that. I Um, agree. So, like, pick one of those ideas and build a movie around it, and I think it makes for a much better, more interesting movie. But I completely agree. And I think the twist was great. I think, you know, Doppelganger movies, like, The Thing is probably my favorite, like, body-switching movie. The second with Kurt Russell is terrific. And I think that's a great way to kind of get at problems with ourselves and self-destruction kind of like an annihilation but i think that it was torn between being social commentary and a horror movie and it ended up doing both yeah that's a good well i think you can do both but i think you can as well and he has shown that he can do both i just think that this particular occasion didn't come off the way he wanted i'm glad you brought up i just it didn't hit me the way that i would have liked it to i'm glad you brought up annihilation because i felt like when i was watching it even i was like oh he stole this dance thing from annihilation (laughs) i mean the 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 similar they're going for similar things right they're both commenting on self-destruction and i think we would both agree that our viewers should go watch annihilation if they enjoyed this or if they enjoyed movies or life or anything about the world well, well, there you go. There's your uh, movie. It's also um, on Netflix, I believe. So, 
Oh, well, it is here in the UK. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix here as well. So. Oh, yeah, because Netflix bought it from company. Universal because Universal was like, we don't want this anymore. <laughs> yeah, so if you like sci-fi and you want a slightly, a less satirical but better movie version of this, check out Annihilation. I do think that there are there are definitely scenes in us that I really enjoyed. And as a whole, I think it was it was entertaining, and I am glad I went. But I think the fact that it followed Get Out, which was such a you know virtuoso film, made it the expectations were too high, which is yeah. to be expected. It's a second film. I think it, it's still good. It definitely was in no by no means a disaster. Um, no, I wouldn't but it say just that wasn't uh, didn't live up to the expectations a lot of viewers had going in. Yeah. All right, cool. so we wrap this thing up. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this um, on this journey. We'll kind of. We'll probably do another uh, episode once uh, we have the June debates. I think that'll be a fun one to debrief. Yeah, and... we'll do another one on these uh, these 2020s. We'll follow up. Um, and in the meantime, we're going to do one on Mitch McConnell and UBI. So look forward to those. Yeah. Peace. Adios. Peace out. <laughs>